This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined remotely via Zoom meetings like everybody else by my co-host, Americus Reed, who's the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the world's only brand identity theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. So this is uh, the second week of uh, school, back to school, as it were. And of course, you know, my new role is long division teacher for, <laughs> for a, bunch of, a bunch of nine-year-old girls in a pod. And interestingly, today, as we were talking about the curriculum, uh, it sort of veered into a conversation of their favorite brands. And I got to tell you, uh, Barbara, I was kind of shocked at the level of kind of sophistication and awareness of these kids talking about all kinds of very serious retail concepts and associations that have to do with how kids relate to stuff, products, services, organizations. So, you know, it'd be really useful if we could have a conversation (laughs) about these sorts of issues that I could be better informed when I'm talking to these kids in a pod. What have you got for me, Barbara? Yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting how sophisticated our young kids are now, you know, even staying home and getting taught by Zoom. They are real retail experts. And luckily for us, coincidentally as it is, we have Catherine Cullen, who's NRF's National Retail Federation Senior Director of Industry and Consumer Insights. And she's here to talk to us about back-to-school shopping. Will back-to-school shopping flop? What's going to happen when all our kids are looking at Zoom? So let's get right into it with her because she's here with us now. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Americus. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so tell us, you've been doing a lot of research, like NRF was always doing research studies. We've looked to them for their data for figuring out in normal times what retail's like. I don't know if you've had to change your retail methods now that everything's different. Well, actually, tell us a little bit about that, because NRF, or those of you who don't know it, it is really National Retail Federation. They always have a big show conference in January. Everybody who's anybody in retail pays attention to NRF. Um, and they're usually the people, to, the go-to people to give us the data on trends. But how's the world been different since COVID for you guys? Well, I will try to live up to uh, that intro by Rex. <laughs> I'm so glad, though, that, uh, you know, you look to NRF, we definitely, you know, try to represent the industry and what's going on, uh, both for consumers and for retail members. Um, certainly retail has been impacted by COVID. I think we all know that we're consumers who shop and uh, we've had to change the ways the ways we shop, particularly around events like back to school. Uh, so if you've followed NRF's data before, you might be aware We conduct two surveys around back to school every year, one at the beginning of July and one at the beginning of August. And uh, we've been doing this for over a decade with a partner, Prosper Insights and Analytics. So we have a good trend of data. And this year, of course, uh, we added some new questions 
to see what was different, what the impact of the pandemic was going to be. Um, and, you know, this is a nationwide survey. It goes over, out to over 7,000 consumers. So we have a pretty good view on what people are thinking, how they're feeling. And we definitely saw a shift for back to school this year. It was great to hear America's talking about the pod because I think one of the big lessons that's coming come out is just that there are so many different formats that school is taking place in, uh, so many different ways families and districts are adapting, and that is playing out in what people are spending and how they approach the season. Yeah, I can't. I can only imagine it's completely different. So let's. Um, uh, I'm going to guess the answer to this, but why don't you just tell us? Is uh -huh. spending up or down? <laughs> so actually, it's up significantly. Whoa! Yes, I, I was going to say that might not have been the answer you were That's looking for. Awesome. So, um, now, keep in mind when we do our surveys, we're asking people, you know, what they plan to spend for the season. Um, obviously, you know that that changes as people's plans uh, firmed up. But one of the things that really stood out to us, so first of all, um, total spending, we look at both K through 12 and college and combined that spending was projected to reach $101.6 billion this year, up from oh. last year's 80.7 billion. Wow, so that's a, huge a huge increase. Now, mm -hmm. a couple of things were going on here. Uh, one is that, you know, consumers were expecting, a large percent of consumers were expecting virtual learning. And so we saw electronics, which are higher ticket items, All right. helping to drive up that spend. I can tell you how much electronics America's yes. by. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you might have firsthand yeah. knowledge there. And then the other that we saw was really this sense of uncertainty. So hmm. um, parents for the most part, even into August, weren't necessarily sure what their school, how their school was opening, what it was going to look like. And so they were kind of budgeting for multiple scenarios, you know, especially if you have a scenario where your kids are in school part of the week, but at home the rest, like New York is doing, uh, you are having to buy items, sort of traditional school items that you would have bought every year, clothes, backpacks, school supplies, oh, but you so also need those electronics. And so at the, all of that is was driving up, you know, how consumers were budgeting for the season and really their mindset. So it's a really, it's a really unique year. I don't know that we're going to have another one like it. I hope, I hope we won't have another pandemic year. So, I mean, so what does it look like? Are they buying traditional school clothes? Or are they buying pajamas or what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, it's been a mix. So I, I do think that uncertainty is important to keep in mind. Obviously, you know, this was last run in August, so it's now September. Um, you know, families have a better sense of what's going on. But we did see, and it's also very localized also. So different parts of the country have very different processes and procedures and guidelines in place. So that's all the kind of caveat, what I'm going to say. Uh, so we definitely saw consumers planning to buy clothes. You know, kids grow whether they're in school or at home. As you mentioned, it might be different types of clothes. Um, but they were also buying, you know, electronics and not just electronics, but different types of electronics than they would buy in the past. So in the past, we saw for middle schoolers and high schoolers, you know, they might be getting their first cell phone. They're getting calculators. Uh, now it's all about laptops. 
you know, <laughs> you could hold off on a cell phone, but your family probably really needs a laptop for you to do school. Also, all the accessories that go along with that, headphones, speakers, if you have multiple kids at home or kids and a parent all at home, they I need bet some you privacy. They need soundproofing. They yes. <laughs> what if you have a bunch of different kids? In a- I think that's a great business idea. We should, uh, <laughs> but also, you know, furniture, desk lamps. Um, I, I mean, Americus, you sounds like you've probably been experiencing this pandemic a little differently than I have. I don't have school age children, but my understanding is when things shut down in March, families just had to adapt really quickly to a new environment. Now they've had a little bit more time to figure out what worked or didn't work for them in the spring. And so we saw more families saying they were going to buy furniture, desks, things to really set up a longer term solution. Let's get personal. What did you buy? (laughs) That's a great question. Thanks for asking that, Barbara. I bought a lot of stuff. Uh, (laughs) We've set up a classroom, a quasi classroom for uh, my daughter and her four friends. So we bought chairs, we bought a desk, we bought dividers. We are essentially recreating a kind of classroom environment uh, in our house, which is quite interesting. Uh, the devices, headphones, everything uh, that, that's being mentioned here, all of those things. And of course, interestingly enough, Barbara, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because when the kids do get together, there still is kind of a social normative expectation of, okay, well, what does your book bag look like? And, and all those things that are normally the things that get scaled up into the larger school setting are still existing in a kind of a microcosm, if you will. So there's, but, but what's interesting, Barbara, is that because there's only four uh, kids in this setting, there's much more attention that's being paid to these items because wow, there's less distraction. So it's, it's quite interesting to see this, the, the dynamic differences here. A whole bunch of new research for you, huh? Yeah, totally. It's very, very <laughs> We're interesting. We're talking to Catherine Cullen, who's NRF, National Retail Federation Senior Director of Industry and Consumer Insights, and they always do back-to-school surveys and reports, and this year is no different, except everything is different. One of the things I was wondering, um, Catherine, is, you know, like with, with Christmas and holiday seasons, a lot of times they talk about when you go into store and buy stuff, you also buy stuff for yourself. So mm. now we're talking about buying things at back to school for the kids and for school. But I wonder if you track, like, are there other types of, is this a big shopping season or is it just school shopping or do, do parents buy stuff? So you're seeing trends in things outside of just <laughs> Do you know what I'm asking? No, that's a, yeah, that's a great question. You know, we don't ask specifically about purchases outside of back to school. I will say after the winter holidays, this is the biggest shopping season for retailers. Um, It is human nature, I think, to pick up items for yourself if you're, if you're out shopping. But we also know this is a, this is a big uh, purchasing time for families um, in, you know, regardless, across income levels, uh, they're thinking about what their kids need. One big differentiator for back to school as opposed to, say, the winter holidays is that, you know, those are gifting occasions. Mm. Um, You want to gift, you want to, you know, give your kids a nice holiday, um, but in a way, those are discretionary purchases. And we have seen families want to still make those discretionary purchases um, to kind of bring some joy in a very uncertain year. But back to school is about necessities. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, one of the big necessities 
is laptops and computers right now. So um, it's just, a, it is a very different mindset. I will say one of the things we've noticed since you mentioned stores um, and some data that we've seen from some partners is, you know, people are obviously changing how they shop uh, for back to school. I mean, there's a very understandable migration to online. Um, but when people go to the store, you know, back to school was sort of a fun shopping season. It yeah. was a tradition for a lot of people. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And now that's, you know, safety is a concern. And so families and shoppers are much more focused when they go in. It's less about browsing in the store. It's less about you know, picking out all those items and trying on a bunch of things. Dressing rooms might not even be open. And so it's really about, you know, if you're going to the store, it's with a lot of purpose, a lot of intention. Uh, you know what you're going to buy. You're maybe picking up fewer of those impulse items on that trip, mm. maybe saving those for, you know, when you're browsing online and adding something to a, to a shopping cart. I know I've been guilty of those online impulse purchases. But just a shift there, and as a result, of course, digital engagement has been really essential, uh, you know, for retail during this time, particularly during the back to school season. Yeah, I mean, so you're saying some of it's in store, some of it's online, and this notion of impulse. Like I've been seeing some of the data where people, when people go online and they just search what they want, mm. you're much less likely. There's a couple problems with this search behavior for newly online shoppers, for example. First of all, if you're used to going to the store, you may not be typing in the right search terms. And the sets, the, the um, online stores may not be set up exactly right yet to capture what you really mean. Like some of them are not as sophisticated as they should be in terms of search. So that's one problem, actually finding what you want online if you're used to shopping in a store. And then the other thing is what you're talking about. Like when you go into a physical store, you may be, attracted to impulse or not like you were kind of saying almost the opposite but still there's some of that going on and online if you're going right to where you search and then clicking what you search oh, interesting there's less likelihood for for this impulse potential unless mm. the retailers are very sophisticated which some of them seriously are but do you have any thoughts about any of that kind of notion like how the do you have any data on how the shopping behaviors change along the lines i'm talking about Yes, yeah, so we've certainly seen uh, the importance of that seamless digital experience um, has definitely become more important. Uh, research we did actually at the beginning of 2020, which seems forever ago, it doesn't even, it seems like it was a completely different year in January, but um, we are looking at this notion of convenience and shopping and, you know, inconvenience is one of the big turnoffs for a customer and that's, you know, long lines, not being able to find what they need, or, you know, clunky checkout process or not being able to navigate the site quickly and easily. The good news is a lot of retailers have made a lot of strides um, over the past years and this year in particular in terms of, you know, really making their online experience or their mobile experience engaging, um, making it easy for customers to look up information, make it easy for them to check if it's in the store so that if they're making that shopping trip, they know what's there. And, um, you know, really facilitating that true kind of blend of digital and physical, you know, sort of more than omni-channel, the way we used to talk about omni-channel, yeah, it's yeah, kind of a new... Yeah. We're talking more about customer-centric omni-channel, so it's all yes. even more sophisticated, all of this stuff going together, yeah. yeah. 
I wonder if you saw the news today, and if you hadn't, I'm not planning, trying to surprise you or anything, but that Amazon's looking to work with Kohl's. Um, oh. Did you see that to sell grocery in the Kohl's? Because the Kohl's have been dividing up their big space into smaller spaces. They had been working with Aldi before, and now they're talking about, they already have a relationship, as I'm sure you know, with, uh, with Amazon, with the returns, and now they're talking about putting in the new Amazon Fresh at least in one of the Kohl's oh, store. Have you, were you aware of that? Do you have any reaction to any of that or? You know, we don't comment on specific companies, but we have been looking at things uh, like those types of partnerships. I think we're seeing more and more of those partnership, partnership models. Um, I know, you know, Kohl's has talked about the success that they've had, uh, you know, with Amazon. I would say beyond that during this time, you know, uh, Places like Panera or another chain, Kosi, were selling uh, grocery goods during the pandemic to consumers who may have not wanted to go to a grocery store and not been able to find what they needed. So we've seen a lot of flexibility and sort of rethinking of traditional retail models during this time. And I think that will certainly continue. This is certainly an example of, I mean, another Amazon company, obviously, but Whole Foods has talked about creating dark stores that are just for fulfillment. Right, so. I know. I mean, wow, this whole notion of what the malls are going to turn into as mm. the stores, because I don't know if this is going through anymore, but there was, I think it isn't actually, but they were at, Amazon was talking about buying some of the anchors that are going out in some of the malls as fulfillment oh. centers. I mean, on one hand, it makes sense because it's a good use of the real estate, but on the other hand, it's just death for a mall to have a fulfillment center as the anchor because how much traffic is that going to drive zero right. you know so it's like that whole notion are, are is nrf doing any studies on the changing malls or anything like that uh, we're certainly looking at the changing role of the store you know not just malls but but stores in general and that's been something that has been a point of conversation for a while you know i feel like for a while, people have been talking about the death of the store or, you know, people don't want stores anymore. And, you know, the data really doesn't support that. People, oh, um, people so like going to the store. Nine out of 10 retail sales dollars are made in a store environment, at least pre-COVID. Now, of course, digital is growing. Of course, you know, not all store formats are working in the same way that they used to before. Uh, but we really see the stores playing an important role for consumers um, kind of on two ends. One is on the side of convenience. So, you know, as, we, as we've seen during the pandemic, there's a lot of pressure on the supply chain and delivery. And often going to the store is still the fastest way to get your items. That might be going buying online and picking up in the store, or you might be actually going into the store environment. Um, but that sort of convenience factor plays a role in, in foot traffic and why people go. The other side is entertainment and engagement. And this is something that was definitely a theme leading up to the pandemic. Certainly it's taken a little bit of a backseat right now with sort of the safety concerns that we're seeing. But we do believe that once the pandemic, hopefully in the near term, starts to starts to resolve itself, that consumers view shopping as more than a transaction. It's social, it's an activity. Uh, we actually see this with Gen Z and the younger consumers. Mm. Um, it's a point of entertainment. And we have been seeing a lot of retailers really rethinking the purpose of the store uh, to meet those new needs. Some of them don't even sell inventory anymore, right? They're, they're showrooms, yeah, yeah, they're showrooms to drive like, uh, foot traffic. All of that. Yeah, they're really yeah. changing 
model. Yeah, so we're talking to Catherine Cullen, who's the NRF National Retail Federation Senior Directory Director of Industry and Consumer Insights. We kind of went astray from our core topic, a little bit in retail in general, but we're really here to talk about back to school. And I was wondering, we've been focusing, America's has young kids, and most of the time when people think about back to school, I know they think about you know elementary school, high school, but what about college? Do you look uh, at that and how, I mean, how about universities? Right. That, uh, Americans and I, we're all teaching 100% online, and I, right. think, I feel like it's going to be the rest of our lives. I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but, you know, with the coronavirus, I now see maps of the U.S., and they now have dots on where, which universities are red hot with coronavirus messes, mm -hmm. and does that play into back-to-school dollars, or is that a separate topic? That's <laughs> Uh, no, that is certainly part of our uh, back to back to school data. So of that 100 over 100 billion dollars that I mentioned that you know are projected back to school sales, about two thirds of that is back to college. So that's a a big driver of spend for the season. You know, on average, we see back to college shoppers, which you know are both college shoppers shopping for themselves as well as parents shopping for their kids. Um, they're spending over $1,000 on average this year, and mm. it's up about $82 from last year. It's not as clear a story as we see with uh, K through 12 shoppers because, you know, there, there was a definite shift. We need electronics this year. College students have been buying electronics for back to school for a while. Uh, we definitely saw a, a bump there, but we also saw them uh, looking to more gift cards and prepaid cards. Mm. Um, one hypothesis there is they don't know what they're going to need yet. They don't know how campus is going to operate, if it's going to shut down after they attend. And so their families are kind of giving them a form of cash. We also saw an increase in um, food. Um, I don't know if that's, I mean, you always might know better than I do if that's due to kind of cafeterias and food, food halls being closed, but sort of yeah, a focus yeah, on. Yeah, that's a big revenue source for the universities. Mm -hmm. Apparently, I didn't realize this, but the universities make a lot of money on their dorm and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. And now mm -hmm. they're, uh, for example, at Penn, nobody's allowed on campus. So all of that business is gone. So I guess right. it's going to regular retail at mm -hmm. the expense of universities. <laughs> Well, and I, you all probably saw these ads too, but you know, it's a, it's a time to outfit your college dorm. Well, what do you do if, if you aren't moving into a college dorm? And so I saw a lot of marketing campaigns around, you know, we have what you need, whether it's update, you know, furnishing your dorm or updating your childhood bedroom with the idea that this is still a milestone for students. It's still, you know, a, a move towards adulthood and they might want to market in some way, even if they're not kind of moving out of their parents' house. Yeah, so I thought really that was an interesting, interesting concept. Observation. You know, America's, doesn't that make sense? Like, because I remember when I took my kids to college, what was it, Bed Bath & Beyond and all those, they had your, right. your dorm list checklist, but you're right, it's still a transition and, and good marketers should take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking with us, Catherine. It was great to have you, Catherine Cullen from NRS, the Senior Director of Industry and Consumer Insights. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. And if um, people want to know more about you and NRF, where should they go? Uh, they should go to nrf.com. Uh, we have a whole back to school headquarters page as well as data on all the other holidays and events that we track.
Well, that's terrific. And I do mean it. I think we should have you back on because you have, it's, it's always nice for me in America to make stuff up, but it's nice when you come in with real data. <laughs> well, it's helpful. I learned something from you all about how classrooms are being set up and uh, it was definitely really interesting uh, from my perspective. So thank you all. Thanks for a great conversation. I definitely appreciated um, being on your show. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 